Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. On a Monday morning, it's November 27, 2023. Hope you had a beautiful and very safe and relaxing Thanksgiving weekend, despite all the issues in our world. So much for which to be grateful. And blessed Solanus Casey, who spent his last years here in the Archdiocese of Detroit, said, we thank God ahead of time and that gratitude is a first sign of a thinking human being. So I love that. And we have so much again to be grateful for. And I'm grateful for you as our listeners. And of course, to this network, which brings you great Catholic programming 24-7. Moving into the Advent season this weekend. Can you believe it? I, I don't even know how it came to be Advent already. Time just keeps flying, right? I think it goes more quickly the older you get. Anyhow, we have a great show lined up for you today as we move again into the Advent season. Someone you know and love who does such a great job on the air on EWTM, but also in his day-to-day ministry as a deacon, as a writer, as a speaker, Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Brand new book out, Building a Civilization of Love, A Catholic Response to Racism. Now, Deacon told me he was working on this book, and it's pretty powerful, and it's pretty, I would say, countercultural. He'll explain when he joins us. So there's a great number of wonderful people who endorse this book, including Monsignor Pope, who you know well from his work at EW10 in the Register, Deacon Dominic Serrato. He is from the Diocese of Joliet, editor of the Deacon Magazine, and so many others who put their support behind this fabulous book from our friends at Ignatius Press. So Building a Civilization of, civilization of Love, a Catholic response to racism. Our very own Deacon Harold Burke Sivers is up. He just got finished speaking at the Good News Conference down in Orlando, Florida, which was a huge success led by the amazing Bishop Robert Barron. Dr. Let's see, who else was there? We had uh, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. We had Dr. Peterson was there. Trying to think um, who else. Oh, Immaculate uh, Ilbegiza among the speakers, uh, Father Mike Schmitz, and so many others. And it was a sellout, a thousand people at that conference. So a lot of good news out there, especially, of course, from our one holy and Catholic and apostolic faith. Michael O'Neill joins us, the miracle hunter and creator and host of the EWTN docuseries, They Might Be Saints, about the lives of the future saints and the search for canonization miracles. He's actually launching a new series on the network entitled Hidden Gems, Catholic Shrines in America. Now, he's the executive producer of the program. And the series presents the various shrines of the U.S. and is hosted by the longtime director of the Catholic-based Catholic Church, uh, Church Tours. The first episode of the National Shrine of the Miraculous Medal in Missouri airs t- today, actually, at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time with an encore at 11.30 p.m. So this is perfect in terms of the Feast of the Miraculous Medal and also the timing of the programming today. And then because it's a Monday, we wrap up with Gail Buckley and our Bible verse of the week. So what's the weather look like as folks are trying to head home for the from the holiday weekend? Moderate to heavy lake effect snow, according to the National Weather Service, is expected today uh, into Wednesday morning. And this is the Great Lakes area, especially along Lake Erie and northern lower Michigan and the UP, as we say here, Upper Peninsula. Snowfall of one to two inches or one to two feet in some areas, not just inches, but feet 
will be possible where warnings are in effect and will make for a difficult to impossible travel experience. So we'll keep an eye on that for you. And if you look at the map, you can see where most of it is. Again, northern lower Michigan, parts of the Upper Peninsula, and then along Lake Erie, and then way in the northeast as well. So they're looking like they're getting the worst of it in terms of the snow. So that is a look at the forecast. And again, our program will start up right after the break in the news with our friend Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, Building a Civilization of Love, a Catholic Response to Racism. It's a Monday morning. It's four minutes past the hour again, right after the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Let's get started with the news on a Monday. Well, in a new letter, the Vatican telling Germany's bishops discussions about women's ordination and changes to the church's teaching on homosexuality off the table at next year's meetings in Rome between German synod leaders and Vatican officials. The letter released Friday, written by Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Perlin, dated October 23rd during the Synod on Synodality and addressed to the Secretary General of the German Bishops' Conference. According to the Catholic News Agency, Perlin reminding Germany's bishops the church will not confer priestly ordination on women and warned of disciplinary consequences, including excommunication for those who defy church teaching. The letter also reminding the bishops the church's teaching on the disordered nature of homosexual acts will not change. The Pope, meanwhile, in good and stable condition. He has no fever and his respiratory situation is improving. That's the latest, according to Vatican News, on the Pope's health given today by Matteo Bruni, the director of the Holy See Press Office. The Pope has been suffering from a pulmonary inflammation, as he himself said on Sunday, appearing via video link for his Sunday Angelus address. Matteo Bruni confirming this scam, which Pope Francis underwent early Saturday afternoon, ruled out pneumonia, but also showed some inflammation that has caused some breathing difficulties. In other news this morning, Rory O'Neill tells us leaders of Hamas and Israel both say they are interested in extending the recent pause in fighting. Monday is supposed to be the last day of the four-day deal to pause fighting while Hamas releases hostages and Israel releases Palestinians held in its jails. The agreement that led to the release of women and children being held on both sides also allowed for more humanitarian aid to be delivered. Israel recommitted to the original agreement, allowing for an additional day of a ceasefire every time 10 more hostages are set free. Israel reportedly, meanwhile, has issues with the list of hostages set for release by Hamas later today. At the same time, the Palestinian terrorist group also has concerns that the names of prisoners Israel is set to release. Mediators are trying to resolve the issues on this fourth and, as of now, final day of a truce between both sides. Mark Mayfield tells us the chair of the House Committee on Intelligence says American hostages should have been among the first to be released by Hamas. Speaking on NBC's Meet the Press, Republican Congressman Mike Turner of Ohio said the White House needed to make that a condition of the deal that has resulted in a temporary ceasefire. Turner acknowledged the likelihood that Hamas is deliberately delaying the release of American hostages to use them as leverage for bargaining. Reaction is coming in over the Saturday night shooting in Vermont of three students of Palestinian descent. Burlington police say they've arrested a suspect, but have not publicly said if they have a motive. And Scott Pringle tells us there continues to be large protests in New York City connected to the Israel-Hamas war with protesters shunning down the Manhattan Bridge, Manhattan Bridge recently. Drivers sat for at least an hour on Sunday as scores of pro-Palestinian protesters sat at the foot of the Manhattan Bridge calling for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. They also want the Biden administration to stop supporting Israel's military effort. Oh! 
One protester spray-painted Gaza on the bridge. Another showed a giant flag reading, Let Gaza Live. Police did make a few arrests. Memorial services for former First Lady Rosalind Carter start today. The former First Lady will lie in repose in the lobby of the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library in Atlanta. For members of the public to pay their respects, Rosalind Carter's funeral will be held Wednesday in Plains, Georgia, where she'll be buried at the family residence. The wife of former President Jimmy Carter passing away earlier this month. She was 96 years old. And construction is set to begin today in a migrant base camp in Chicago's Brighton Park neighborhood. Despite safety and environmental concerns, this resident speaking out against a base camp during a protest yesterday. This is inhumane. I mean, how could you put people sleeping on top of toxic land? Alderman Julia Ramirez and Mayor Brandon Johnson's office notified her that crews would begin constructing the tent camp today. Ramirez criticized Johnson for moving forward with the plan following discovery of toxic metals recently at that site. The mayor's office saying the city is confident the property will be suited for the purpose for which it will be used. A Republican congressman says he supports House Speaker Mike Johnson, even though he voted against Johnson's recent spending bill to prevent a government shutdown. I don't think that most Republicans blame Speaker Johnson for the challenges he's facing. Those were created during the McCarthy time period. Speaking on CBS's Face the Nation, Ken Buck of Colorado says he does believe Johnson is trying to reduce government spending and is going about it the right way. He added that unlike former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Johnson will not face a Republican backlash for reaching across the aisle to get his spending bill passed. Buck, who announced earlier this month he's not running for re-election, says House Republicans feel Johnson inherited problems that were caused by McCarthy. Congress returning from Thanksgiving break today with a full load of legislative business to take care of before the end of 2023. And a resident in Colorado Springs suing Meta, the Facebook and Instagram parent company, 21-year-old Taylor Little claims they were exposed to addictive and graphic content that led to self-harm since the age of 11. I wish someone had done this for me 10 years ago. Little's lawsuit comes at the same time the Colorado Attorney General joined a multi-state lawsuit against Meta, alleging their social media platforms are addictive and harmful to children. Meta would not comment on her lawsuit, but says it's putting more protections in place for young people, such as defaulting people under 16 to private accounts and limiting sensitive content. Chris Caraggio tells us the post-Thanksgiving travel rush is reaching record high numbers for some airlines. American Airlines says it flew almost 6.5 million people over the Thanksgiving holiday, the highest number for the airline over the period. Things won't stop because the holiday is over, as American says it had around 6,100 departures scheduled for Sunday and Monday. Chicago O'Hare has been the airport most heavily affected by delays on Sunday as snow moved into the region in the morning. Roughly 40% of flights originating from the airport saw delays on Sunday. Parts of the country, as we mentioned in the weather forecast, are seeing cold weather as folks head home from the Thanksgiving holiday in the Great Lakes region. Below average temperatures will trigger lake effect snow and travel could be dangerous in parts of the Midwest into the Northeast. Heavy rain is also possible along the Gulf Coast and Mid-Atlantic all the way into the New England area of the country. And Scott Carr tells us a co-creator of H.R. Puffin Stuff and other classic children's TV shows of the 60s and 70s has passed away. Hey.
If you grew up in the late 60s or early 70s, you're almost certainly familiar with the live-action TV kids shows produced by Canadian brothers Sid and Marty Croft, often featuring large-headed puppets, high-concept plots, and extensive use of low-budget special effects. They provided costumes and puppets for Hanna-Barbera's Banana Splits, but went on to produce several of their own shows, including H.R. Puffin Stuff, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, and Land of the Lost. Marty Croft died of kidney failure Saturday in Los Angeles at the age of 86. And it is Cyber Monday and time to look for those hidden sales. Amazon has a number of them, as you might expect, including a 32-inch high-def TV for only $80. There are also vacuum cleaners, pillows, AirPods, mattresses, furniture, and plenty of other electronics at major discounts. Also, though, yes, it is time for sales, but as Scott Tarr tells us, the FBI is warning it's also time for scams as well. FBI agents say scams can range from untrustworthy or outright fake websites to fake emails offering great deals and even phony charities. They say increasingly common are smaller cyber scams run by individuals or small groups and that it's good to remember the old adage, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Analysts say online U.S. shoppers are expected to spend close to $13 billion this Cyber Monday. And some members of Generation Z might not be able to make it home for the holidays this year. A recent survey finding that many Gen Z Americans with student debt won't be able to afford traveling home for Christmas on top of their student loan payments. Nearly a third, meanwhile, of Generation Z survey participants also say they're relying on mom and dad to pay for those travel expenses. And if the thought of ending your Thanksgiving and going back to work has you reaching for a sick day, Bree Tennis tells us anxiety is common and you're not alone. It's called post-vacation syndrome, and 31% of U.S. workers suffer from it. The dread of returning to work after time off, the endless emails and administration tasks, the day after Christmas and the Monday after Super Bowl are the top picks for the holiday illness trend with Thanksgiving in the top five. According to the Perelman School of Medicine in Philadelphia, you'll get your work group back in a day or two. It is a Monday morning. It is November 27, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN. This program, Catholic Connection, is co-produced by EWTN and the Ave Maria Radio Network. Find us both online, AveMariaRadio.net and EWTN.com. And speaking of EWTN, you know Deacon Harold Burke Sivers so well from his programs in EWTN, also his many books, his great talks. He spoke at the Good News Conference a couple weeks ago down in Florida and hit another home run. He's a great speaker his latest book, Building a Civilization of Love, A Catholic Response to Racism. Some very important points that he's bringing up in this book that we need to hear. We'll be right back. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? 
send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak. And I'm Lisa Popchak from More to Life. Would you like to have a better family life by Christmas? Join us Monday, December 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, for our free webinar, A More Peaceful Family by Christmas, A Catholic Parent's Guide to Advent. In Advent, we're called to make more room in our hearts and homes for Christ. Discover how the grace of Advent can help you celebrate the loving, faithful family life God wants for you. And it's free. Just register at catholichom.com slash webinar. That's catholichom.com slash webinar. See you there. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Sixteen minutes past the hour. Welcome back. I'm so proud to call Deacon Harold Burke Sivers a friend and in the diaconate family. He just celebrated, by the way, 20 years in the diaconate. What a gift! I was telling him during the break that Deacon Dom just celebrated over 12 years in the diaconate in October. So it's a very special ministry, a special community, and really appreciate the work of all of our amazing deacons and deacon couples out there in the country and around the world. And I also appreciate the honesty and the directness of Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, who's an African-American Catholic brother in the Lord and who gets to the heart of this issue of racism. Look, nobody is designed that racism still exists and that it's evil, it's sinful, and it's not acceptable ever in any way, shape, or form. But how do we respond? And what I love about this book, and by the way, Building a Civilization, Civilization is, Love, is available from Ignatius Press, is that Deacon Harold, as he does with his talks, his writings, his presentations, cuts through the rhetoric. He gets at the heart of what's happening in our culture that is not really addressing this issue. It's more about virtual signaling and you know getting out there and being on social media and not really addressing the real issues and how we should respond, especially from a Catholic perspective. Deacon, great to talk to you. So, so let's get to the heart of this, first of all, as to why you decided to write this book, because being that this is 2023 and this book came out, you were writing this, I can imagine, in the midst of where we're seeing so much about this issue of racism in our culture. Yes, thank you, Teresa. It's great to be with you. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, I wrote this book during the pandemic um, because, well, first of all, I was home, couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> I needed right. something to do. But then I was looking at what's going on um, in our country, the, the racial animosity and the hatred and the, the rhetoric and the polemics, and especially re- regarding um, uh, interactions with law enforcement and, and, and uh, black people and uh, George Floyd and all of that. And I didn't see or, or hear anyone trying to, to, to figure out how do we resolve this? How do we actually uh, break down the walls of racial division? How do we bring people together? And I wasn't hearing any of that. Um, and so I decided, well, you know, I think the Catholic Church can, can take the lead in this issue. Um, so I decided to, to sit down and start writing and, and, and figure out how we can actually bring people together, not just around the body of Christ, but to bring healing um, in, in, in an issue that's so important and sometimes difficult to talk about. 
Yeah, absolutely. So what's interesting is that you say in this book, and you don't, you don't hold back, which I think is super important coming from your perspective, because you work in law enforcement, you have a law enforcement background, also you've been in ministry for many years. You're saying that Black Lives Matter, liberation theology, critical race theory, not only have just failed Deacon, but have failed in a spectacular way. Why do you say that? Yeah, so the, the reason I actually, when I was writing, I wanted to put all of those in one chapter, because I didn't want to really um, give them much of a, of, a, of a voice. But the more I studied, the, the more I realized, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to <laughs> separate these out. And, and uh, I wanted to give a truly Catholic response to these issues. And I, and I brought them in because, well, first of all, everybody, with so much uh, hatred and so much vitriol with regard to those issues, I said, you know, wait a minute, oh, hold on. Let's take a step back. Let me, let me take a look at these three areas, these three ideologies that Catholics are saying that need to be brought into discussion in order to bring racial healing and division, uh, of division. So I said, let me see what they say for themselves. So I, for critical race theory, I bought the books of Derek Bell and Richard Delgado and, and uh, Jimmy Stefanik and Kimberly Crenshaw. And I read what they had to say. I read Father Gustavo Gutierrez with Liberation Theology. Um, you know, I, I read the, the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement and, and to see what they say for themselves, not what some other political pundit has to say, what they have to say. And so when I read what they have to say, I said, oh, my goodness, this is not, this is, this is not helpful at all in, in bringing racial healing. In fact, it makes things worse. And the hermeneutic or the, the kind of interpretive key that runs through all three of those ways of thinking, unfortunately, is a Marxist ideology, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, which is based on... Uh, Marxist materialism, um, uh, which uh, uh, where conflict, tension, struggle is a way forward. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not our Catholic faith. So in other words, uprisings, protests, damaging, uh, the, these, these things that we saw that were so prevalent, you know, especially during 2020, they thought that was a solution. Yeah, so what they have to do is attack structures. So um, the, the cause of all the problems in, in their eyes is the, the way that the society and culture is structured. So you have to tear down the structure in order to bring change. Well, and, and, but my thesis is quite different in the book. What I say is Jesus Christ didn't die on a cross for structures. He died on a cross for people. So we have to actually deal with, with people, and we change people and change hearts. Well, the Holy Spirit has to, but we have to be the facilitators of that here on Earth. And once we do that, then the structures will change because we're we're dealing with the real issues that right. get to the to the very heart of what's going on in our culture. Yeah, absolutely, so true. Talking with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, building a civilization of love, a Catholic response to racism, published recently by Ignatius Press. Now, also the the thing that's frustrating to me from a journalistic point of view is that we're not seeing some of the truth that's coming out about these. Uh, organizations that you mentioned, especially with Black Lives Matter, how the whole thing is literally falling apart, and the money that was siphoned through the organization to the organizers in terms of more than one home and these big mansions and, and basically putting more money in their own bank accounts, as opposed to working on these areas of racism about which they said they were so concerned. Yeah, and I don't bring up any of that money, any of that stuff in the book. Um, quite Frank, I wasn't really interested in that. What I was interested in is what they have to say about how we bring racial healing and division. And here, the, the fact is, and this is, it's, it's sad, but the fact is, is it's, a, it's a Trojan horse. So on the outside, they're saying racism, 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 but inside is a, an ideology 
that's designed to destroy the nuclear family. And again, that's a strong statement. But again, when you look at what they say for themselves, not what Deacon Harrell has to say about it, but they say for themselves about what their what their their organization is about and what they're trying to do. Uh, that's the issue. So again, I address it from a Catholic perspective, mm-hmm. looking at it through the lens of is this a way that we can bring racial healing and division? And it's, it's not. It, what's happened since Martin Luther King, who uh, who I think had a, an, a, a amazing way forward. He really had the the, the right mentality and the right uh, approach to how we actually bring racial healing. When he dies and he was killed. Uh, there was no one that stepped into the into the breach, into the gap, to not necessarily take his place, but to carry that same message forward. Uh, and so, in the midst of that vacuum, we have uh, individuals and organizations um, again that are pushing, they're saying race, but pushing agendas that have nothing actually to do with race. Uh, and and that's the problem. So, I wanted to be a voice of, of reason and a voice of faith in this discussion. So what's been the response? I know the book's recent, but you also are offering now, which I think is really helpful, presentations and, and seminars for parishes and dioceses to, to address this, this issue of racism, which still exists, unfortunately. We, we seem to you know, still be working on something that we thought maybe that we have addressed uh, pretty well back in the 60s and the 70s, but it's still rearing its ugly head in so many ways. But what's been the response to the book so far, Harold? So far, and, and, and uh, I haven't seen much uh, written uh, critiques of the book, um, but in the presentations I've been given, they've been very well received, um, uh, and and even amongst the black audiences, <laughs> quite frankly, as I thought, like when when people find out what I what I'm saying about uh, you know kind of those three um, issues of critical race theory and liberation theology, of Black Lives Matter, I would be criticized, um, and particularly I was expecting a lot of ad hominem attacks. That mm-hmm. is personal attacks against me and not against my argument. Um, but I haven't seen that so far. It's, it's been uh, very well received, and I've, I've been pleased about that. But I know as, as more people find out about the book and start reading, I'm going to get some criticism. But that's okay. Yep. Know, Jesus. Let's take a break and come right back and talk more about that with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and his book, Building a Civilization of Love. Stay tuned. Father Benedict Rochelle. I'm going to tell you about the most abused woman I ever met in my life. You know her name as Roe, as in Roe versus Wade. I talked to Roe. This woman is a great penitent. This woman is a humble person who was deeply hurt. She was kneeling in the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, the National Shrine in Washington, when I met her. And I thought, What reverence. I didn't know who this woman was, but she was praying with reverence, with great fervor. And I asked a priest friend of mine, who is that? And he says, oh, that's Roe. God is not mocked. This woman was abused by those who propagate the killing of children. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Is the ecclesial ministry of the Catholic Church personal as well as sacramental and collegial in character? The Catechism says yes. Jesus Christ, the founder of the Catholic Church, calls his ministers personally when he says, follow me. The College of Bishops are related to the pontiff in Rome as Peter was related to the rest of the apostles. 
When Christ instituted the twelve apostles, he constituted them in a college or permanent assembly at the head of which he placed Peter, the rock of his church. Our Lord gave Peter the keys to his church, designating him the shepherd of the whole flock. The power Christ gave Peter to loose and to bind was also given to the college of the apostles united to its head. This pastoral office of Peter and the other apostles belongs to the church's very foundation and is continued by the bishops under the primacy of the Pope. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. So our friend and amazing preacher and teacher, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, really needs no introduction, especially if you're an EW Chen follower. He's just a phenomenal speaker, and he speaks on so many different topics. He was with us on the Good News Cruise in the past and did a great talk on marriage and just is so enthusiastic and just loves the Lord and loves the church. But he also has a very interesting background in law enforcement. So when we talk about these issues that we've seen in the news the last few years, especially since COVID and all of the riots and all the problems we saw with Black Lives Matter and these other groups claiming to address the issue of racism, Deacon Harold is coming at this again from not only a Catholic perspective, but his expertise in law enforcement and the way the police were treated and some problems. Not that there aren't issues, and and we know this, but he can talk about that as well. But this morning, we're really talking about how do we address this from a truly Catholic perspective. So Deacon, if you could do this for our listeners, because there's so much, the Catholic Church gives us answers to everything. I mean, if we pick up the catechism, we look back in, in terms of the references and 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 you know, just the outline of the catechism every single issue that we are facing in the world in our lives the church has an answer to because it's the universal church and all the teachings come from god but even with this very crucial issue of racism where do you think we should start in terms of understanding the catholic response and the catholic perspective in terms of documents maybe particular popes or particular church leaders yeah so a couple of things so first of all i really believe with all my heart that the catholic church can take the lead in this issue. Um, uh, so often we come from behind when it comes to difficult issues like marriage or gender and things like that, and then laws get passed and rulings get made, and then we get all upset and we, and we issue a statement. Well, it's too late. I mean, with this issue, I think the Catholic Church can, can be in the forefront, and then people will, will take a look and say, hey, look what the Catholic Church is doing. Let's follow their lead. You know, for once, it'd be nice, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think where we have to start is basically page one of the Bible, Genesis 1, uh, 27 says that we're made in God's image and likeness. You know, we're made in the image and likeness of God. And so we need to start seeing people the way God sees them, to look at each other through God's eyes. And so the way I say that is, like, for example, people will say, well, you're a black Catholic. And I said, well, no, I'm a Catholic who's black. Mm. I said, well, what, what, why do you say that? Are you denying your black identity? I said, no, look, when I die and stand before the Lord, he's not going to ask me how black I am. He's going to say, did you pick up your cross and follow me? Uh, I, I gave you three talents. I gave you fatherhood. I gave you being a husband. I gave you being a deacon. Where's my 30, 50, 100-fold return on the investment I made in you? So our identity is not in my race, my color, my creed, my sexuality. And it's, it's being a, a loyal son of the living God, steeped in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a divine identity. That's who I am. And be, and when you start to see people that way, now you're able to appreciate all the incredible cultural gifts and language and food and, and, and everything else that God has blessed that person with to be able to express 
who they are in him and in his love. And, and that's, that's the first brick that needs to be removed from the wall of, of racial division. And then the last, that's why I'm doing the last part of the book. I start there, and then I, I like really some simple things. It's not hard. We just have to have the desire to do it. Things like potlucks and, and um, appreciating the gift of cultural diversity by putting images of, of saints of color in the church so that the, the, the community is more aware the church is not just this, the people I see every Sunday. The church is much bigger than that. And we know that, Teresa, from traveling mm-hmm. internationally. Right. You know, when you experience the church in another culture, it just opens your heart yep. more deeply to how God is able to express His love and, and His faith uh, amongst people of different races and cultures. That's one of my favorite things about leading pilgrimages and traveling abroad, because you have masses in all these different basilicas and cathedrals, and these pilgrimage groups from all over the world. And again, as you said, from everywhere, and just you see the beauty and the diversity of the universal church. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and imagine, for example, you, you go to a church that doesn't have much cultural diversity, in, and your child walks in, and they see a, uh, a picture of Josephine Bikita. Mm. They've never seen a black saint before. The only thing they've seen with black people is what they see on TV or on the news or jokes from their friends or what they see on social media. And now this person comes in and says, wait, who is that? And, and her father says, well, that's Josephine Bikita. Joseph, who, who is she? And the dad begins to explain a little bit about her life, that she was a, uh, a slave and she became a nun and she was abused and all this stuff. And now the person begins to think, oh, my goodness, you know, this is, how, this is what a saint looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, so now it's starting to break down those stereotypes that have been that learned behavior and, and, and replacing it with seeing people of color as saints in the church, as contributors to the life of, of Christ, to that brings the love of Jesus Christ and makes it alive in the world and in people's hearts. You know, it's a very different way of approaching the faith. So in your presentations, based on the, the work and the research you did for the book, Deacon, do you bring these practical these practicalities in? Because I think you know, we, we can see all the beauty in the Scripture and the documents and whatnot, but having a practical application, as you just described, is super important to make it real for people. Yeah, absolutely, because in the first part of the book, I... I make clear distinctions, which we fail to make in our culture, between prejudice and racism, between institutional racism and people, institutions who are racist. I talk about uh, slavery uh, and, and, uh, in the church because people criticize them. Well, St. Paul endorsed slavery. Wait a minute. There's five types of slavery in the Bible. Which one is St. Paul talking about? It could not be chattel slavery because the Lord said, you know, uh, you will not. Very clear in Leviticus, you will not enslaved people because you were once enslaved in the land of Egypt, that kind of thing. So I go through, I go through the, the teachings of the, the popes, pope after pope after pope, strongly condemning slavery. And, and then in the last part of the book, I said, okay, let's put some, some meat on the bone here. So I talk about very practical things we do at the parish level uh, in order to, to bring racial healing with our universal church. Because you start with the family. Mm-hmm. The, the family, um, St. John Paul II said, uh, the, the domestic church, the church of the home, because that's where young people learn to fall in love with Jesus. Well, the parish is also our family. Right? We, talk, we talk about the parish family. And that's a place, I guess, some very practical, real things we can do, like the, the potlucks or, or intermixing of choirs uh, uh, in the church, um, multicultural images, as I mentioned, of saints in the church, um, promoting... Uh, Conversation and dialogue. You do some amazing documents written by U.S. bishops on issues of race 
Um, you know, there's just so many very simple things that we can do that will make a meaningful difference in, uh, in this discussion and really start to break down hatred and replace it with love. Amen. And I love what you said at the beginning of the interview, Deacon, because it starts with a change of heart. It's just like with the pro-life movement. And, and again, I believe in changing as many laws as, as, as possible, and we overturn Roe v. Wade. Thanks be to God. We know that over 30,000 babies have been saved because of that. But at the same time, the most important thing is that we have to change the hearts of people, because if the hearts don't change, and depending on whom we get in office or at the Supreme Court, we go back, uh, God forbid, to where we were. Thank you so much. And also, real practical, pick up the book. I mean, it's super helpful, very practical. Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers coming at this from many perspectives as a deacon, as a husband, as a father, as an African-American brother in the Lord, and as a former police officer. So he knows a lot about this issue and what we've been facing in the last few years. Building a Civilization of Love, a Catholic Response to Racism. Deacon, if I don't talk to you before Christmas, God bless you and your family. Thank you for all that you do. Really, you're a gift. Yeah, thank you, Teresa. You're a blessing in my life, you and Deacon Dom. Thank you for having me on today. All right. Well, God bless you. Stay safe and don't travel too much. Make sure you take some rest over the holidays. You should go to his website and see his speaking schedule. It's crazy. But we're glad you're out there. Just make sure you take good care of yourself. Pick up the book, folks. It's terrific. Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers, Building a Civilization of Love, a timely book. We need this right now. Thanks be to God. We'll be right back. Father Benedict Groeschel. Oh, I love reverence. Wherever I go in the world, I usually go to visit the religious buildings. And no matter what I see, I see reverence. Or I've been in temples and mosques where I saw more reverence and awe of God than I see in Christian churches, even sometimes in Catholic churches. Oh, yes. Let me say it. When I was a boy, Catholics were much more reverent and respectful in church. You never, ever spoke in church. I was a young priest. A man had a heart attack at the beginning of Mass. I stopped the Mass. We prayed for the man. While the police were coming, the ambulance, they removed him from the church. He didn't die. Not one word was spoken. The police officers and the ambulance attendants who came whispered, respect. I wish it were true today. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. The binary choice between life and death is the engine that drives the entire story of human history. It's there in the garden where Adam and Eve made the wrong choice. It's there in the days of Cain and Abel when they have to choose between right and wrong worship. It's there with Joshua in chapter 24 where he says, choose this day whom you will serve. And the binary choice is there with King David when Bathsheba catches his eye. It's there in Proverbs 14:12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And it's there in Jesus' teaching. Will you build on the rock or will you build on sand? And when we talk about imitating Christ, we mean that we want to be like Jesus, who always makes the right choice, choosing God above created things. He chooses life, and for those who follow him, he promises abundant life, even eternal life. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Well, they say timing is everything. Perfect timing for this interview, thanks to my wonderful producer, Andrew Kuchek, for lining up. Someone very familiar also 
to our listening and viewing audience. Michael O'Neill, the Miracle Hunter, creator and host of the EWTN docu-series, They Might Be Saints, is launching a new series on EWTN, Hidden Gems, Catholic Shrines in America. Now, this time he's serving as producer, but not the host. But speaking of timing... The first episode is airing today, and it's all about the National Shrine of the Miraculous Medal in Perryville, Missouri, airing today on the feast, and it airs at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time with an encore this evening, 11.30 p.m. Eastern, and again on the feast day of the Miraculous Medal. So, Michael, this is great. So tell us, first of all, about the idea for the new series. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's it's exciting. I think that uh, people might know me from my Explore series with Mm -hmm. EWTN work. I travel the world, and I I look at the various shrines in different countries, but people might not know that there are these hidden places, might call them hidden gems, scattered all throughout the United States that are uh, very beautiful shrines in their own right. And so this this program aims to sort of show those incredible places and give the backstory for not only how they came to be, but sort of the devotion maybe that inspired their building. So um, I'm really excited about this series. All right, so tell us about the first one to air this morning. So on the feast day of the Miraculous Medal, which is today, uh, fittingly, we have the uh, National Shrine of the Miraculous Medal in Perryville, Missouri. And so these are half-hour episodes, and uh, this is hosted by uh, the director of Catholic Church Tours, which is a Chicago-based uh, company that's Nell Angievsky, and she travels to this site, and she basically covers the entire shrine as if she were a pilgrim. So it's almost as if you, as the viewer, could go with her around the shrine and learn everything you needed to know about the Miraculous Medal and everything that this beautiful shrine has to offer. In terms of the various shrines, I mean, there's so many in this country, and we have some right here in in my Archdiocese of Detroit. How did you go about and finding them and deciding, Michael, which one would be in the series, which ones would be in the series? Well, I think we're opening it up to various shrines throughout the country, and we hope to feature many of them as this series uh, continues and grows. But we uh, talked to this National Shrine of the Miraculous Medal first, partly because I've been there as a speaker and I've visited the shrine myself. So I know how beautiful it is, and I love the story of the Miraculous Medal. So we have this combination of a Marian apparition and this sacramental that uh, stems from it and the shrine that uh, popped up in Perryville, Missouri, uh, which most people don't even know uh, that there's a shrine to the National or to the Miraculous Medal uh, in the Midwest at all. So it's kind of a, it was a fun thing to kick the series off with, I thought, uh, I love Marian apparitions, and I love their stories, and it's such a beautiful place. I've been to myself, so it made a lot of sense. We're talking with producer and host and author Michael O'Neill about his new series on EWTN, Hidden Gems, Catholic Shrines in America, and the first episode airing today, 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time, National Shrine of the Miraculous Medal, as you just mentioned, in Perrysville, Missouri, with an encore tonight, 11.30 p.m. Eastern. So remind folks about the Miraculous Medal, a little bit of the history behind it, if you wouldn't mind. So this uh, sacramental, which, uh, believe it or not, is the most widely spread uh, Catholic medal in circulation in history, in all of Catholic history, it stems from an 1830 apparition uh, to a uh, novice of the Daughters of Charity, uh, um, Catherine Laboray, and uh, she had this vision where an angel led her into the chapel of their convent there, and people can actually go there uh, to this day. I've been there myself several times. Uh, you can see this place where the Virgin Mary appeared, and she sat uh, in front of Catherine Labrae. They still have the chair there. And as part of this uh, several visions, it was revealed the design of the miraculous medal. It's the only one like that where you have a Marian apparition where she not only says some things, but she also lays out a plan with an actual design. So 
uh, Catherine Labrie takes that design and presents it to her spiritual director, who doesn't necessarily believe her right away, but after some discernment and realizes she's telling the truth and it's a true apparition, he has the medal struck. And it's known, it's named the Medal of the Immaculate Conception, but because so many people were using it in times of cholera and otherwise, and all these healings and miracles came up, it kind of got the nickname Miraculous Medal, and that, that's the name that stuck with it. And there have been more than one billion medals uh, circulated uh, around the world since, uh, since this time in 1830. A billion? A billion, did you say? B as in boy, billion? Yeah, big, a big B, billion, right. Wow. So in terms of, of this, do you think, is, given the number of um, miraculous medals, as you said, Michael, that have been uh, you know, given to people and, and shared around the world, do you think the story obviously is getting out there more? Well, I think that it's, you know, for some people, it's an older devotion. It's something from the 1800s, and perhaps uh, you might have seen a parent or a grandparent wearing a miraculous medal, but uh, we're hoping that it's making somewhat of a comeback. And the story is so fascinating of Catherine Labore and, and this sort of instruction to evangelize with this medal. And so I, I think that uh, shedding some light on this shine, shrine in Perryville hopefully will uh, re-enliven this devotion, something that's still uh, an important part of the, the lives of many Catholic faithful. So is it your hope, and I'm sure it is, but, but just you know, a little bit of insight you know, on your heart, that people, when they see these different places, different shrines around the country, that they will make their own personal pilgrimage to these places? I mean, obviously your show yes, is, is a I pilgrimage in, in sense. Explore, but, for the yeah. Explore series, which is around the world, I want to show those places because I don't imagine that many people will get to go to them. So I want to show them, and people can journey with me to those places. But for the Hidden Gems series, which airs tonight at 11.30 a.m., and 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time, I want people to be inspired to see these shrines, not only on the screens of EWTN, but also you can make a short trip, depending on where you are, uh, to these places around the country. So it's my hope that people will visit these places as well. So how many episodes and what's up after Perryville, Missouri? Where do you go next? So the next episode was the National Shrine of St. Jude in Chicago. People know me. I'm a Chicago guy, so I'm pretty excited to feature that shrine as well. And we've got Our Lady of La Leche in St. Augustine in Florida coming right up, which is a, a great place for uh, those in the cold Midwest to visit uh, during this time of year. So we're excited about those coming up around the corner, and we're hoping to feature more and more shrines and show all the hidden gems all around the United States. How many in total? Do you have a total number, or is it just going to go, I mean, going along and kind of see it's, which We're one? hoping that it keeps going and going and that uh, different shrines will partner with us and will present their stories. But uh, I think it's an important thing. People don't even know that these places are kind of hiding uh, in their own areas. So I think yeah. it's, a, it's a great way to shed some light on these places. Well, can I make a suggestion? Of course. Have you thought about coming to the Archdiocese of Detroit? Because we have a shrine dedicated to St. Therese, a national shrine. There you go. And actually, I have uh, filmed there myself mm -hmm. at that shrine, and uh, that certainly could be another place that's so beautiful and has so many stories of miraculous intercessions. I think it would be a great place to Yep. When they brought, when her relics were going around the country, St. Therese of Lisieux, of course, is one of the doctors of the church, female doctors of the church. I was covering it for, uh, not only for Ave Maria Radio, but I was also covering it for uh, Catholic TV in Detroit. We have a, the Archdiocese has their own uh, TV network, and they sent me down there with the camera crew. And what was so interesting, and I'm sure you found this too, Michael, so please share, is there were so many people who were not even Catholic but who had heard about the saints, and especially St. Therese in her little way. I interviewed so many people who were not even Catholic, but were coming to pay their respects because the Catholic saints have meant so much to them in their lives. Do you find that to be true as you travel? Yeah, and I think, you know, everybody secretly loves the saints, and they, you know, when a saint is proclaimed in an area, I think you see 
people coming out to that canonization because it's such a special thing. But then we talk about uh, St. Therese. Maybe you pair her with Padre Pio and say, these are the two modern-day saints that it seems that everybody has some interest and fascination with, perhaps especially because of all her miracles of roses that we hear about. So Mm -hmm. uh, she's a very special saint for everyone. All right, well, let me know when you're coming to the Motor City. I'll take you for a good Italian meal at my favorite place uh, on the west side, and uh, we can catch up again. But, really, this is great. I'm so glad you're doing this because sometimes when people think of pilgrimage, they only think of, which is great because I love going overseas, as you know, for pilgrimage, and, and you do it the same, the same way as I do, travel all the time. But there's so much beauty right here in our country of faithful Catholics who have built these shrines and sacrificed to make sure these shrines exist so people can explore more about their faith. So again, we've been talking with Michael O'Neill of The Miracle Hunter, creator of the host of the docu-series They Might Be Saints, but also now he is a producer for this brand new series launching on the network, Hidden Gems, Catholic Shrines in America. He is working as the executive producer on this series. The first coming up today, as we said, timing is everything, November 27th, 11.30 a.m., and the encore tonight at 11.30 p.m., both Eastern Time, on this feast day of the Miraculous Medal. Thanks, Michael. It is a Monday morning, almost 49 minutes past hour, closing with our Bible verse of the week with our very own Gail Buckley. We'll be right back. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Ciao amici, Teresa Tamio here. If you're looking for something inspiring to give to someone this Christmas season, or maybe just a little stocking stuffer for yourself, make sure to check out the Ave Maria Radio online store. Plenty of books are sale to teach, inspire, and renew your connection with God. Speaking of sales, my book, Everything's Coming Up Rosie, is 25% off this month while supplies last. So go ahead over to AveMariaRadio.net and click on the bookstore. Happy shopping. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Don't be surprised if I hear you move. Wrapping up a busy Monday morning. It is Monday, November 27, 2023. So appreciate your listenership here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And so appreciate the great work of Convert to Catholicism, our dear friend, Gail buckley Berenger and Catholic Scripture Study. Okay, Gail, take it away. What's the verse for today, sister? Okay. It's from Romans for, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercy of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, St. Paul is talking about offering ourselves and our works to God, and we should do this every day, on a daily basis, you know, offer everything up to God. Maybe maybe I should say not everything that we don't want to offer our sins, but right. certainly the things, the good things that we do. And, you know, while everything I mean, you know, for instance, our job should be done with God in mind, you know, doing our best, and we should try to do good deeds every day spiritual and corporal works of mercy, you know, helping out people, uh, praying for others, um, comforting the sick or whatever. And when we attend Mass, you know, in addition to giving money, our financial offerings, we need to bring to mind the the things that we've done during the week that we can also offer as our gifts to God. The Mass, you know, involves the sacrifice of the whole church together, not just, um, well, God, Jesus sacrifice is the main event, but... You know, as part of the Mass, the general intercession, when we, um, the deacon or the priest is preparing the Eucharist, you know, when, um, during the preparation, mm-hmm. our, our priest said recently, he said, you know, it's like almost like an intermission, you know, because they're up there busy preparing the altar and we're just sitting there. Sometimes we sing a song or whatever, but I look around and, and I see people reading the bulletin and looking around and not knowing what to do. And, this is a time when we should be thinking about what we can offer, what we can give to our guardian angel to take up on the offer, our spiritual gifts, you know, things that we've done during, done during the week. And so this is our part. You know, with, the Bible calls us priests, you know, and St. Peter, um, I think it's St. Peter, we're told that we're to offer spiritual sac- sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ. And the Mass is also our sacrifice and that we join, you know, our offerings to Christ sacrifice. And our offerings, of course, are nothing compared to his sacrifice. They're small. But that's what the Eucharist is about. Obviously, you know, we just have small and perfect gifts, but instead of reading the bulletin, you know, during this preparation of gifts, we should be mentally preparing and thinking about what we can offer and what we can give our guardian angel to take up there. We don't want to send our guardian angels up there with empty hands. Right. <laughs> that would be embarrassing. You know what so, I think is a good you know, idea? I know it helps me. I always bring my Magnificat to Mass, and I follow along, because yeah. they have a whole section in there. Uh, basically, you could just follow along during the Eucharistic prayers and during the whole Mass, and that keeps me focused. That is a great idea, because, you know, we're not we're not spectators. We're post, supposed to be, you know, in with the Mass. We're supposed to be... Um, not spectators, but participants. You know, we're, we're supposed to be participating in the Mass and be fully engaged. And it's it's kind of hard sometimes. People drift off and, and don't think about it. But I think, um, I think what my priest said about sending the angel up there with empty hands to me, that seems like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I've got to start thinking about this and what, I can, what I've done. And also be prepared before I go to Mass to know what I can give to God. So we need to remember this, that during the preparation of the gifts, you know, it gives us a few moments to prepare ourselves interiorly for the sacrifice that's about to occur and, you know, what we can do. And this is what is meant by our birthday when he says, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you're going up to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. Yes, another great point. We need to be so reverent and and realize this is Christ. This is truly Christ that we're receiving. And so many people go up there with such a nonchalant attitude. But I love it when the priests tell us over and over again, you know, that this is Jesus. And 
Uh, it's amazing, Teresa, how many people don't believe that or are not really aware and think it's symbolic. I mean, in the Catholic Church, it's really a shame, and we need to be reminded all the time, this is our Lord and Savior present, you know, here, body, blood, soul, and divinity on the altar. Amen, sister. Beautifully put. The verse for today, jot it down, Romans 12, 1. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Again, Romans 12, 1, our verse for today. Mondays, we do our scripture verse of the week with Gal Buckley. Kind of to set your tone for the week. And being that we're moving into Advent this weekend, this is a great verse to think about. How are we going to go through this preparation, this time of of just, you know, reflection and, and meditation and this time of waiting for the coming of our Lord? How are we going to use that? And of course, going right to scripture, whether it's through Catholic, Catholic scripture study or just using your daily readings to really draw closer to the Lord. Gail, thanks so much. Have a great week. Look forward to talking to you next week, the first full week of Advent. Thanks, brothers and sisters, for tuning in. You've been listening to EWTN. Adomani, talk to you tomorrow on a Tuesday. Ciao, ciao. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.